Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now, let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. I am your host, and we're excited to come to you again. This time, it's our first guest that we brought from across the pond, uh, based out of the UK and London, England. Now he's in Portugal this, uh, today joining us, and we're going to talk today about culture. As you know, the Teamwork Advantage is really focused in on teamwork, leadership, and culture, and where those three items come together. So it's interesting to get uh, viewpoints from everybody from different aspects. And today we're going to get one from Brett Putter. He's an expert in company culture development and has consulted with companies and leaders worldwide, helping them to design, develop, and build high-performing cultures. Currently, he's the CEO of Culture Gene, a culture leadership software and services platform based in London. Prior to finding the Culture Gene, Brett spent 16 years as the managing partner of a leading executive search firm in London while working with startups and high growth companies in the UK, Europe, as well as here in the United States. In 2018, Brett published his first book, Culture Decks Decoded. That's going to be interesting to chat about. And Brett has recently released his second book, Own Your Own Culture, a blueprint for building strong, functional, post-pandemic cultures because folks we will get through this pandemic brett potter welcome to the teamwork advantage greg really great to be here thanks for having me on great to have you here you were talking a little bit beforehand you're over in portugal at the in the really nice weather where it's instead of being cold outside right now i guess yeah it's it's we've had a bit of sun and we we've, we've um we've really enjoyed it it's it would be a lot a lot grayer and a lot wetter in london right now so um <laughs> really appreciating what portugal's had to offer so far well, we're excited to have you join us here today as the head of Culture Gene. It's, it's important because it's, you've got the key word in your title of Culture Gene. But before we get into what Culture Gene is, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background. Where did you get to? How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so as you, as you mentioned, Greg, I um, ran an executive search firm for 16 years. Uh, that was London-based, and we worked internationally. And I was lucky enough about five years ago to work with three companies that were pretty much all, they were almost one after the other, but actually the similarity that they all had is that the leaders had a very clear understanding of their culture. And they asked me to find candidates in the searches that matched the skills and experience, but also the values of the company. And this was a much harder search to do because finding candidates is hard anyway, but finding candidates that match values was really difficult. So it took us longer to do, but actually once we got to the interview stage of the process, the penny dropped for me because the candidates and the interviewers just had a much different, much better, a different, more interactive, more dynamic experience in the interview process. And then the successful candidates went on to really move the needle for those companies. And I realized there that this, this culture piece was the missing link. Matching the values made such a big difference in the search processes that I decided 
I had to find out more. And, and I, I spent a lot of time researching culture, building the process that I work with my clients now. And so four, year, four years ago, I started Culture Gene. Um, off the back of this realization that culture was and is the missing piece of the business puzzle for most companies. And so I decided to go out and try and solve that piece of the puzzle. Awesome. So Culture Gene is a software and services platform, but it's culture-based. Explain a little bit about that if you can. Yeah, so Culture Gene is essentially a process that I've developed to help companies define, embed, and manage their culture. What companies typically do is they define their values and their mission and their vision, and they make pretty posters and they print mouse mats and they do all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then nothing happens from there, really. Life carries on as usual. Mm -hmm. And our process, what we do is we help companies embed it into the leadership team, the functions and the processes of the organization, and then help them manage the culture as a business function. And I built some software around this because about almost 18 months ago now, I was approached by two companies that were fully remote companies. So, so they were remote before COVID. And they said, can you help us? And, and I realized that I needed software to help them because they, 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 weren't, they weren't getting together. They were remote, fully remote. Mm-hmm. So I started building the software to replicate my process. And that's how we got to where we are now, where, where fortunate for, fortunate for, fortunately for me, I can take my clients through the various workshops and stages and phases of the culture development program, utilizing the software and human expertise. Now you start that and that, that starts at the CEO level and works all the way through. Is that right? That, that's correct. I, I work with the CEO. I may work with the COO as well, or the head of HR or the VP of people, but essentially it's with the CEO first and then maybe mm-hmm. somebody else who helps me execute inside the business. Got it. That's absolutely fascinating because there's so many organizations that, they, like you said, they put the posters up on the wall and then nobody knows what they mean. They don't revisit it. They don't bring it up. It's not part of their vernacular every day. Um, some of the companies, like you said, I think are amazing at doing that. Uh, Marriott Hotels, I believe, does that probably one of the best from a large scale version uh, with their hotels at the different brands. So all of that is really powerful. Why would you say there are so many leaders, CEOs, organizations that are failing at really implementing, and the key word is implementing, because it's not saying they don't believe and have their values, but implementing their culture. What, what's the reason behind that? Greg, that's a, that's a great question. The reason is they don't know how. Uh, just on a really fundamental level, most leaders, if you were to ask them, think, Culture is important. They would like a strong functional culture, a good culture to join in, a culture that people want to be part of and help them develop. But leaders don't know what to do next. And that's because nobody has actually defined this process. Um, I spent four years really digging deep into, um, first of all, reading up on the likes of Edgar Schein, Charles Handy, and then actually working with companies just to work on how to embed this. And as part of that, I interviewed 50, uh, just over 50 CEOs and leaders of high growth companies to understand what it is that they do to embed their culture. Um, And 
I realized that the, the, the best CEOs, the, the leaders that do the best job of defining their strong functional culture, the ones that treat this like a function, they lead an organization and mm -hmm. culture is as important as finance or sales or engineering. And what do you find when a company is doing that? If somewhere down the line, there's a breaking point, because let's face it, large organizations with hundreds to thousands to tens of thousands of employees to hundreds of thousands, there's, there's breakdowns through that. How, how do you ensure that that gets run throughout an entire organization? So there are only six, culture is this complex thing. It's invisible, subconscious, and intangible, and happens mostly beyond, you know, below the surface. But actually, when it comes to embedding culture, there are only six mechanisms to embed culture with. So those six are how you reward and recognize, what you measure and pay attention to, how you invest and allocate resources, how you train, mentor, and educate, how you behave in crisis situations, and how you hire, fire, and promote. So let me give you an example of, around this, Greg. Let's say the, the, you're in a company and the CEO says, customer service is really important to us. The CEO talks about customer service and you know, this is important, we've got to do it, but the CEO doesn't reward or recognize anybody in the customer service team. The mm -hmm. CEO doesn't invest or allocate resources into the customer service team. The CEO brushes issues under the carpet. The CEO doesn't really um, invest in training or mentoring or, 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 or educating the team. The CEO doesn't fire somebody in the customer service team for treating a customer badly. That's, that, those are examples of the CEO behaving incongruently, inconsistently with their message. Mm -hmm. And that's where, the, that's where the culture breaks. So if leaders of companies are thinking about embedding and continuing to embed they're looking at how they do those six things in their business all the time and making sure it matches against the values and the culture they want to build so so you you make decisions against your culture and you demonstrate to your team how you're doing it on an ongoing basis your culture and your values become your evaluation guidelines for deci business decisions Okay, key, and that's key element right there. So I want to make sure we repeat that. The culture becomes the guidelines and the basis for all decision-making within the organization all the way down to the frontline team. Correct. That, that's, that's so quintessential. I want everybody to make sure they take that to heart because even though another team within your organization may not necessarily be following some of that, if this team, if your team starts to do it, you can still build that ground momentum. Am I correct in understanding that? Yeah, absolutely. You, you've got to be responsible for your team. And actually what happens in companies with strong functional cultures is the team that isn't delivering against the values and the behaviors expected in the company will actually be called out either on an individual basis or on a team basis. Because what happens in a, in, when you join a company is there's an explicit agreement that I signed this contract with you, but there's an implicit agreement that we will work in a certain way, in a respectful way, in a values-driven way. And if you don't do that in strong functional cultures, you get called out for it mm -hmm. because it's a, it's a function and you need, to, you need to deliver on that function. Now, one of the things you talk about, though, is it's 
impossible to hire. Now, you, you said earlier that you were hiring people and you started to hire for a cultural fit, but you also say that you can't hire for cultural fit, right? I said, I said they were hiring for values fit. Okay. Let's clear. Let's clarify that then. Yeah. Yeah. So, so to get onto the point of, of culture fit, uh, Greg, when I, when, when, when a CEO or a, or a business leader tells me they hire for culture fit, then I say, that's interesting. Would you mind accurately describing your culture, please? And you hear this deathly silence that actually you, you can almost hear crickets in the background. It's so quiet. And maybe they come up with something around their values, but nobody can answer that question because it's impossible. It's hard to, it's hard to define your culture accurately because it's changing all the time and it's largely invisible, subconscious and intangible. So if you can't define your culture and you don't really know what it is, what are you hiring against? At the end of the day, you're hiring against your gut instinct and you're calling your gut instinct culture fit. And gut instinct is flawed, it's personal, it's biased. It's about feelings. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not a. You know. It's not a foolproof method, and that's the reason why so many bad hires are made in companies. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, then what happens is you hire a bunch of excuse the expression here mini me's, and we get everybody sitting down one way. And now, next thing you know, we've got a Stepford Wives company where exactly. everything is. I mean, you know, and that doesn't work. But hiring against a tangible aspect of values is a key element that everything is measured against that, not against the person. Is that right? Exactly. And, and that point about tangible element of values is really critical. So what I do with my clients is we define the values or we refine their values, and then we define the expected behaviors against those values. So for example, teamwork. If I ask you, Greg, what, what is your interpretation of the word teamwork? What, what would you say? What, you know, what do you, what's the first thing that springs to mind? A group of people who work together, support each other, respect each other. They have possessed harmonizing skills. Um, they have a passion for the mission. You know, I go down that line. That's the direction I start to go. And, and there's, there's no right or wrong answer here. Correct. But, but I, I may think that teamwork is the team always comes first. Mm -hmm. And we could end up making fundamentally different decisions based on the same set of, set of stimuli because my interpretation of the word is different to your interpretation of the word. And so what we do with our clients is we remove the opportunity for interpretation because we, we say, what does teamwork mean to us? And we define these four things. What does the next value mean? And we define those four things. What are these behaviors that we expect? And that's where you get to the tangible element of values in a company. They are the expected behaviors that we expect you as the leadership team and you expect us as the employees to work against. Okay. How then do you define the difference between traits and a definition? So, so for, me, for me, traits are um, along the same lines. They're, if you call them traits we expect or behaviors we expect, I would be okay with that, but, but, but actually working on behaviors is you, you can see a behavior mm -hmm. in action. You can mm -hmm. recognize a behavior. You can reward a behavior. You can measure against it. You can train for it. You can hire for it, but traits are not as obvious because they are personality traits. They are part of the person and not obviously always shown. Mm -hmm. So that's why I move more towards behaviors because 
in this value, we have these four or five behaviors that we expect from you. Show us that you do them. Okay. And that you can hire for. Exactly. Exactly. You can build. So, so an example of if this, if it was my company, if the, if the behavior was teamwork and the expected behavior was the team always comes first, the interview question is, when last did you take one for the team and why? And now you've got an actual behavior that you're asking this person about that you can really interview them against. I could spend 10 minutes interviewing any candidate on that particular question because there's so much, there's so many layers to it. That's fascinating. That's, I'm huge in understanding behaviors and the different behavior types and things of that nature. And that's, that's key. So when you start to bring all that in now, in listening to you, you've got a passion for this, and it, it, it exudes, and I love it. Where did that passion come from, and what is your personal mission? Uh, I just, I realized that this, having seen companies and having studied companies that get this right, I realized that this would be a wonderful thing to do, even if I wasn't paid to do it. You know, my, my, this, 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 I, I wake up every morning and I, I literally jump out of bed apart from when my three-year-old is sitting on top of me, waking me up, <laughs> but I jump out of bed because I want to get into, I want to get into doing what I do. And, mm-hmm. and it's, 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 I'm very fortunate to, to have found my passion and to enjoy what I do. My personal mission is to turn company culture into a critical business function that is recognized as such. So that it is the same as sales, engineering, or marketing, or finance in an organization. The CEO can measure and manage company culture in the same way. And this leads up to my vision, which is to help change company culture across the globe, to have an impact on company culture and the way company culture is delivered so that I can impact the way millions of people work. If you work in a culture that is right for you, a strong functional culture that you should be at, whether it's a, whether it's a, you know, whether it's a stringent culture, whether it's a soft culture, whether it's a family culture, whether it's a sports team culture, the right culture for you means that you will develop, you will enjoy yourself, you will actually, you will be better at home, you will have a better life because you're in the right environment that you want to be in for the majority of your time. So that's that's really my passion. Those are the drivers for me. And that's that's so key because. I think it's important everybody work in something they love doing. You know, I, I understand that times, of course, you can't always do that. We, you, you, Maslow's theory of hierarchy of needs comes into play. Sometimes we've got to take what we can take to make ends meet. But if once we find it, I mean, I was blessed to find what I do now about 30 years ago. I didn't start working in it until about 22 years ago. But I, the more I learned about it and study it, and I, I'm like you. I, I wake up and I get excited about it. You know, you start thinking that. And I heard the phrase, oh, I don't know how many years ago. It says, if you, if you do what you love to do, you'll never work another day in your life. Yeah. And I think, and you, you were key on saying, if, you, if your culture and you are in the right culture fit, okay, um, the, the book uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins, uh, 
used to always talk about get the right people on the bus and get them in the right seats. Well, the same thing here is you may have a great employee, but if they don't match your culture fit, it's not that they're a bad person. It's that they are not a culture fit for your company. They may be for another. Yeah, and, and the, the, the point about culture fit is it depends on the time of where your, where your company is. If you, if you need to hire somebody for a certain type of culture fit, so for example, if you're a 15-person company, you, you, you may need somebody who can take your sales team from one person to 10. But actually, once you, that's, the, that's what you do. And that's what you like doing. Once it gets past 10, you know that that's not the right culture for you. And then you step out. But you enjoy, you enjoy building sales teams for that period of time. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I accept that there is a, an opportunity for culture fit. But this, you still have to fundamentally hire for values fit first. So if they do not match your values, do not hire them. It doesn't matter what you think about how they fit your culture. Because the values are the core drivers and your values are consistent over time. Mm-hmm. So now, if you, is it possible for company A to have a set of values and company B to have a different set of values that could be in the same industry? Is it possible for them to have different values? And neither one's right or wrong. Am I correct? Yeah, there's, there's no right or wrong culture. There's, there's the right culture for how we, how we want to operate. So if you look at, if you look at um, I don't know, if you compare Hulu and Netflix, I don't know that much about Hulu's culture. It's not as defined, but Netflix's culture is very defined. And they operate like a sports team. They expect excellence. If you, if you, if you are not excellent, they will put you on the bench. If you don't get back to excellence, they will fire So they say, we operate like a sports team. We're not a family. We're not a business. They also pay above market rates and they are, they, they tell you, we will pay, we pay above market rates and to such an extent that in their original culture deck, which was published in 2009, they actually recommended that people go, their current employees go and interview for similar roles at other companies to see if they could get paid more elsewhere. And if they, if that, if they were paid, if they were potentially paid more elsewhere, they would just bump the salary up. They didn't want money to get in the way. So it's 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 a it's a different mindset. Okay. In comparison, where, where Hulu and Netflix do the same thing, but but Netflix is very very deliberate about their culture and how they communicate the culture. Okay. And you will you can get overlaps in culture. So certain companies work in similar ways, but a company's culture is like our fingerprints. They look the same, but they're radically different. Okay. Now you use the term. And it may be something that I'm just not familiar with the the total term of it called the culture deck. And of course, your first book was called Culture Decks Decoded. What do you mean? Can you define what you mean by culture deck? Yeah, so a culture deck is basically a typically it's a bunch of it's a it's a PowerPoint presentation um, that that can be 10 pages to hundreds, 125 pages in the case of Netflix's original culture deck. And basically it explains how your company operates. It explains the values, the mission, the vision. It explains how you approach diversity and inclusion, how you well, it might approach feedback. Um, it explains how you work in terms of hiring. It's basically the operating system defined in a bunch of slides. And, and Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, put 
their culture deck online in 2009. And, and the, the reason for that is he got tired of going through the culture deck on foot with new joiners. And, and half of the new joiners realizing that they actually didn't want to work in the culture because they didn't like what was being described. So he said he got ahead of the problem and he put it online on a website called SlideShare. And on SlideShare now, it's been viewed over 20 million times in 11 years. And it, Sheryl Sandberg quotes, is quoted as saying, it's the most important document to come out of Silicon Valley because it really describes a culture very well. But you can't copy Netflix's culture because no. it's unique. Exactly. Everybody but, has to develop their own culture they may exactly. use the framework of Netflix, but they have to make their own. Exactly. You can borrow elements of Netflix's culture. You can copy elements and make it your own. So what I did is I took all the, cult the best culture decks online. So from LinkedIn, Valve, um, HubSpot, um, uh, Hootsuite, um, and, and Netflix, obviously, and many others. And I basically took what I thought, what I thought were the best slides and, and commented on them. And I developed a framework. If you want to document your culture, you can use the book, more pictures than words, really. You can use the book to document your culture in a very, very effective way. That is powerful. And so that's what Culture Dex Decoded is. That's correct. Okay. And obviously that's available on Amazon and all the locations for that. That's correct. All right, tell me about your new one now. This is where we're getting interesting because we're currently in a pandemic. We've been in this pandemic for months. Uh, we don't know when we're going to finally come out of this whole thing. Um, working remotely is, as you worked with one of your clients, you said they were doing it for years. Working remotely is different today. So how does a culture impact differently from an organization that's working together in person and now working remotely? How does that change? Yeah, so this is this is what most leaders are going through now. And I'm sad to say that most leaders have their heads in the sand a little bit about this. And uh, you put that very politely, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you think about December 2019 and you ask leaders, what did you have then? And actually, if they think about it, they will say they had proximity. They had body language. They could read how people were feeling. They had formal and informal communication. They had the ability to brainstorm, whiteboard. Um, recognition and reward happened easier. They saw people were available. They saw their, that people were visible to them. Their culture actually formed and developed as a function of the office. So they could be lazy about that. And most leaders were. In my, in my book, Own Your Culture, I use the Warren Buffett phrase, you only know when somebody's swimming naked when the tide goes out. And so in this case, the leaders who were not deliberate about their culture, the tide's gone out now and they're going, oh gosh, our, cultures, our culture is degrading because we do not have proximity. We don't have the water cooler moments. We don't have those informal meetings. We don't have the informal communication. We don't have meet up for lunch. We don't have the social connection. We don't have the, the, the culture happening by default. So now what do we do? And this is, this is the, the state of, of, of businesses is such that some company cultures are degrading really quickly because leaders are trying to micromanage in a remote environment. 
that's, that's micro- my view. You can't do that. Micromanagement in a remote environment is literally cutting off your nose to spite your face. Well, micromanaging in general can probably do the same thing, whether it's in person or not. Exactly. It's just quicker. It just happens. It's much more destructive in a, in a remote environment. Yeah, very because, accelerated pace. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and your, because your people then try to, they sh- try to show that we're, we're working harder. They overwork as a result. And these issues around well-being, mental health, and burnout are going to be huge in six to nine months' time. Yeah. Absolutely off the charts. Yeah. So what are we doing? What are you telling leaders? And again, let's think about this, not just from the CEO level. Let's look at this throughout, throughout an entire organization. Um, what are we telling leaders? What are we telling people to do uh, in that aspect of keeping the culture alive and for the well-being in general of the entire organization? Yeah, so great question. So I've um, when I started building my software for remote companies, I actually decided to in, in investigate these companies because I'd interviewed a couple of them, but I wanted to really know more about these companies. So I studied GitLab, GitHub, um, Zapier, TopTel, Buffer, Hotjar, and a bunch of others. And and these companies really operate differently because they never had or they've or they did or they don't have a, an office. To rely on. So these companies do what I call the nine remote work best practices. And the nine remote work best practices that leaders do differently, whether it's the CEO or if you're a manager operating a team of 50 in a big organization, they are deliberate about culture. They focus on communication. They processize the business. So they create more process because without process, nobody knows what's going on because it's not the same. They customize the recruitment and onboarding processes. They work very much on building, enhancing, and demonstrating trust through transparency. They focus on results or outcomes-based leadership. They develop social connection and work very hard at that because that's part of the glue. They add structure to the day and the weeks because your people don't really know how to work from home with all the distractions. And they create documentation. So these are the nine best practices that, that, that remote companies operate by. And I tell leaders to just to A, think about what's changed. In other words, the things that they had in terms of proximity, physical interaction, informal communication, creativity, brainstorming, it's visibility and availability. If you look at that, what's changed from where you were a year ago to what's happening now and how your business is going to change, it's about the nine remote work best practices. Okay. Let's go back over those because you, you were rattling them off and then we talked about the nine. So let's go back and let's identify those nine for anybody who's listening again. Sure. So the first one is be, and let me just caveat, these nine are mainly because companies did not have an office to rely on when they are remote. They have to do these things. So they are deliberate about culture. They, they, they start thinking about it from day one. They don't, they, they're not lazy about it. They focus on communication because com- communication is the oxygen of a remote environment. If you have bottlenecks or if you have knowledge leaks or knowledge loss or information silos where communication isn't happening, your business is going to fail. They, they add more process to the business because if I'm in sales and I want to go and talk to somebody in marketing in New York, I need to know how marketing works. What's the process that I have to fit into? 
especially if I am a new joiner to the sales team. They add structure. So, so what that means is they, they will say, okay, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, no meetings. On Wednesdays, this is what happens. On Thursdays, this is what happens. So they add structure to the day and the week deliberately. They develop social connection. So social connection uh, digitally is hard to do because it's not the same as when we meet, meet up for a drink after work or we just you know, sit in the office and chat. Right. You know, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have that decompression time um, that we, we don't have that decompression time now. So they work hard on social connection and making sure that happens across the organization. What's happened with companies that have gone uh, remote because of COVID is their social connection has literally just fallen off a cliff. Started off okay, they were doing quizzes and Friday drinks and this and that, but now you can just see it's doing this because, and there are a number of reasons why. They work hard on documentation. GitLab are the, are the sort of granddaddies and grand, grandmothers of remote. They have 1,300 fully remote people. They have, a, they have a company manual that is something around the likes of 8,000 pages long if you printed it out. Wow. The thing about that company manual, that handbook, every single page is a working page. There's not a single page that isn't interacted with and managed by somebody every single day. There are no pages that go to die in a folder somewhere. And actually, if you go and do a search for the GitLab manual, you can go and read it all now. They see it as a competitive advantage and, and they make it freely, freely available to the world. People... Who, leaders who are, who are running remote companies focus on trust and invariably it's trust through transparency because if you're transparent we have nothing to hide and trust and, of course i talk about it as predictive and uh vulnerable leaders of course and everybody needs to be vulnerable in that because let's face it we're in an all situation where nobody knows everything today so by letting themselves be more vulnerable it's going to build a better level of trust absolutely absolutely um they, they focus on results and output. It's not about the hours worked and it's not where you work. It's not when you work, it's about the output. And <laughs> this is based on the ability to, to agree a, a, a target outcome in a period of time. So they yeah. sit down and they'll work out, what are, you, what are we gonna deliver on? That's what we deliver. Can you do it? Yes, I'm gonna do it. And then I will monitor you if, you, if, if it's needed. Right. And finally, they, they, they customize the recruitment and onboarding process for their, for their own, for, for their, the way they work. If you are recruiting the same way you did a year ago, using Zoom or using Teams, you're, you're, you, are, you are failing significantly because yeah. you, you're, you're, not, you, you, you're not overcoming that, that, that interactive in-person experience that you had through this, through this medium. Wow, that's a wealth of information right there. Now that I assume you've lined up in your book, Own Your Culture. Is that where that is? That's correct. That's correct. So Own Your Culture is is looks at um, how how to think about first of all building a culture, whether you are remote, whether you are hybrid, or whether you are working from an office. Building the culture, some of the mechanisms are slightly different, but it's pretty much the same. And then I spend an, a, a bit of time investigating how a company, for example, like Hotjar, their, their, rem their remote hiring process is brilliant. It's a five-step process and it allows the entire company 
to evaluate the candidate pretty much allows and you can join you can join meetings you can join interviews you can and, and actually you and the 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 interviewers end up working with the candidates during their candidacy it's just a very different way of working that most companies are not used to and so i've so own your culture as a book is is helps you understand how to look at defining your values your mission your vision how to do interviews how to do post interviews onboarding probation period how to deal with brilliant jerks um, how to deal with feedback, how to deal with um, transparency, building psychological safety, diversity and inclusion, and how to run a hybrid or remote environment. And I believe that you can check with me or correct me or disagree here. I believe that even as things return to what we think were normal, where people are going back to work, or let me rephrase that, can go back into physical locations, I believe there's going to be an enormous amount of hybrid and even uh, more uh, remote workers around the world. Am I right in that thought? Yeah, you're, you're spot on there. You're spot on there, Greg. Um, I think I think what's going to happen is um, some companies are going to go fully remote and and have a go at it. Remote, remote, but actually, people think that remote is hard to do, but actually, running a hybrid business is even harder. Because in, when you're running remote, we're all experiencing this thing in the same way. We're all experiencing work. Yes, our homes are different, but actually we experience the culture in the same way. When it's hybrid, you've got, you can have a situation where there's an us and a, and a them. The us working from the office and the them working remotely and the remote people feeling like second-class citizens. And that's going to develop with, in the, if you go back to... Um... Uh, God, I forgot the name of Tucker's, um, the forming, storming, norming, performing of a team. That's right at stage two, where they start to storm because their subgroups will develop. It'll be an us versus them mindset. Uh, that's why a couple of clients that I've worked with that are looking at this are breaking them into, uh, depending on the size, either uh, groups one, two, or th maybe three, or even four for that matter. And each group works one week in the office so they rotate those in. So there's people coming in, there's people staying at home. So there's that constant rotation to help prevent that. What do you think about that idea? Yeah, I think, I think that's a great idea. I'm not sure at this stage you could get everybody to come into the office. There are some people no. who are, you know, no, they, they're, they're looking at this more down yeah. the road, but that's, that's what they're looking at from a hybrid standpoint. I, I really like that. The most important thing, Greg, is that the leadership ship team should not work in the office. Because as soon as the leadership team go back to the office, then everybody gravitates back towards them. And that's where you get the us versus them. If the mm -hmm. leadership team are in and out of the office in a random kind of way and more out of the office than in, in a hybrid environment, that's the best case scenario. Mm -hmm. but you're, you're completely right. In the future, we will have hybrid companies. I, I, I think, unfortunately, the leaders of hybrid companies will not real, that you, realize that you need to run a hybrid business in a remote, remote first way. Mm -hmm. And so that remote first way is, is, is critical to bring remote best practices into the DNA of your organization. And if you don't do that, then hybrid is really going to struggle. Wow. You've definitely given us a lot to think about. And um, I, I hope we can have you back again uh, in our next, uh, next season, talking about this a little further and how things have migrated and changed. Um, Let's just talk again for a second. You're the CEO of Culture Gene. So that is culturegene.com. Is that correct? Or .uk? Yeah. 
It's it's culture g e n e dot ai and dot com as well, but dot ai is the is the the uh, URL I I use. If um, Greg, if people want to reach out to me, they can reach out to me on my email. It's Brett at culturegene dot ai, um, and and you know I'm always I spend twenty percent of my time just talking to people and helping to educate, helping to you know my job is to is to help turn company culture into a critical business function. And so I'm happy to talk to people, really enjoy it. So uh, yeah, if any of your listeners want to connect, very happy to. Well, let me ask you another question here. The one last question. What's it like to have found your passion? Um, it's wonderful, actually. It's, 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 it's really great to know that I will be doing this until the day I die. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, I can hear it in your voice. It's just, it's fascinating. Yeah, I went, I don't, I don't think about it as work. Um, uh, I, I think, I, as you said, you know, it's, I, it's not work for me. It's, it's, it's a calling. It's, it's the thing that, I, and I, I, I spent 16 years as, as, a, as, a, as a headhunter, as an executive search consultant. And half of those, if not more, were slightly frustrated executive search because I, 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 I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I was like this frustrated headhunter. And then when I found culture, it was like everything just calmed down. It was like I, I got more centered. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just had that moment where I was like, I'm good now. I, I, I'm just a student for the rest of my life. Yes. That's fascinating. So it's Culture Gene. That's C-U-L-T-U-R-E-G-E-N-E dot A-I. That's right. We can reach out to you there. And your books are called Culture Decks Decoded and Own Your Culture. Those That's are the right. Those are available on Amazon, um, Kindle, and uh, paperback. And the audio book will be coming out in probably a month, uh, a month or two. That's my favorite, right there. Audio. That's that's that. I haven't taken my book on audio yet. I'm trying to figure out how to do that one. <laughs> but uh, Brett, it's been an absolute privilege to have you on board here with us. Um, this will be our last episode, folks, that we're doing for. Uh, our first season here on the Teamwork Advantage. Um, we'll be back uh, a little later with more information, and we're going to keep for the culture, the power of teamwork, leadership, and culture as we go through. So, Brett Putter, once again, thank you so much for your time. And everybody, I want you to remember one thing. Do not have a good day. Because when you have a good day, you're just being average. Until next time, be sure to make it a great day, because you're not average. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.